Blog Talk Radio. Okay, thanks, Bill, and welcome, everybody, to our latest show, um, A Smiling World. And as Bill said, uh, we have lots of information available for you on the A Smiling World website. Um, Our mission is to help you find your purpose, achieve your dreams, and live an empowered life. So there's lots of information on the website that actually tells you lots of tips and tools and strategies 
that uh, will really help you to become empowered and create that love, joy, peace and abundance in your life. And we not only help people to become empowered through removing all those limitations that we believe we have, you know, the limiting beliefs and the fears and the doubts, and really stepping into who you really are and appreciating those skills and talents and and uh, abilities that you've brought into this lifetime specifically to serve you in fulfilling your life purpose and soul mission. So go to the website, look at all that wonderful information and do sign up for the newsletter and um, you'll then get notified not only of the exciting things that we've got coming on board, which is uh, an online version of the Empower Your Life, Achieve Your Dreams workshop that we've been delivering in several states already with rave reviews. Um, but you'll also get to hear about um, other information, guests on the radio show, and so on. So you can stay in touch that way. Anyway, it seems like we now have Haroon. Um on the show. Hi, hello. Hi, Jen. Hello, Haroon. I'm just going to introduce you before we start. Yeah, let me just add a quick word. Everybody that's out there who's a new listener, I apologize for the delay at the beginning. And uh, that little piece of silence between the music and when Jan came on, there was a little technical hiccup on the switchboard. So my introduction didn't go past. And all of those who hear it week after week are probably grateful for that. But, uh, so anyway, I'm here too. And welcome, Haroon. I'm, it's so wonderful to have you. I was saying how excited we were to uh, have the conversations and the emails and everything. I said, we can't wait till we're all together and um, exchanging hugs and having a really good time. And, and as I told everybody, which unfortunately on that technical detail they may not have heard, we're hoping really to um, all be together at the Festival of Enlightenment because you would be a wonderful asset to that, I know. So I'm going to let you and Jan get on with it, but I send my love over to you, and we're we're looking forward to a great interview with you. Thank you so much. Okay. All right, Bill, thanks. I didn't realize that you weren't actually broadcasting. It's the, the result of being in the same room, I guess. Anyway, today we bring one of England's most impressive entrepreneurs, Haroon Rabani, to share an amazing journey and some great advice. Um, as most of us know that are listening to this radio show, humans are far more powerful than they have been led to believe or even conceive. And it was with this in mind that Haroon went on a quest to seek out the greatest thinkers, philosophers, scientists, and wisdom keepers to understand the nature of personal evolution. So in June 2009, Haroon carried out his first interview on the Consciousness Revolution show with scientist and pioneer Nassim Haramein in order to understand the synergy between science and spirituality. And over the course of the next two years, Haroon interviewed several of the most respected figures in the field of consciousness. It was actually in, in March 2012 that Haroon's Untangled FM was born with several new shows covering social enterprise, money, empowerment of women, faith, sex and relationships. In truth, this was a big experiment to establish whether there was enough hunger for life transformational information via internet radio. And it's been a resounding success. Today, Untangled FM has got listeners from across five continents who regularly tune in to listen and participate 
in the inspirational, entertaining, and engaging shows every single week. So, Haroon, I'm really excited to talk to you as well because you can bring news from home, as it were. So, <laughs> welcome to the show. And um, really, it's going to be great fun to hear about your journey. And I believe you've been also doing lots of other exciting things beyond Untangled FM, as I've seen on Facebook and various other things. So, perhaps we can start by uh, talking about, you know, how you got inspired to start these wonderful radio shows. Brilliant. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on your show. And also thank you to Dill. I've known you guys. I've not physically met you, but I've known you for a number of years. And by the way, I'm very impressed with your research. You know your stuff. So I'm very impressed. Um, Untangle FM started. I, truth be known, I'll give you the simple version. Um, I wanted, I grew up in a very rough neighborhood in, in the UK. I wasn't born here. I was born in Bangladesh. I grew up in a rough neighborhood, and then we moved, up, moved out of that neighborhood to another rough neighborhood. And um, having been raised in a very religious background, a Muslim background, I, I kind of like, there were things that just did not resonate with me. But there was wisdom there, which just made me think, oh, my goodness, this, you know, we, we are, as you said earlier on, we are so much more powerful then we've been led to believe in, yes, all that. It's almost like our true power is in control. And, and so, you know, I wanted to really understand, having done a lot of entrepreneurial work, I was kind of like tired of it. I thought, so what? All, this, all these people I'm helping out, doing, teaching them sales or marketing, so what? What's the big difference that they're making? And I managed to, I, I came across a movie called what the beat do we know, um, with a whole bunch of scientists, uh, mystics, uh, healers, and so on. And I, you know, I, I was just totally blown away by that. And I thought, well, the whole radio show thing, it really started off with me saying, you know, I want to listen from these master teachers. Now, if I give them a phone, a phone call and I say, hey, can you teach me this stuff? They'll probably say, who's this for? And my answer would be just for me. So instead of doing that, I thought, I need to incentivize them. And so what I did was I actually created a radio show literally to learn from these teachers as well as sharing with others. That's how it started. But the inspiration really came from being sick and tired of seeing our world falling apart around us and with all this separation consciousness, which is not really consciousness, um, all the war, all the poverty. And I just thought, you know what? We need to find a way to show that we are all interconnected. I am certainly a firm believer, um, um, certainly of the Gandhi principle, be the change you want to see in the world. Well, in my mind, if we want to transform the planet, we have to, have to, have to start off with transforming us. And so that's really how you know, I, I started off. I, I just wanted to share this amazing knowledge. Although I wasn't a teacher at the time, I wanted to share this knowledge from the master teachers, and that's where it all started. That's great, and it really it's very similar to why we do the radio show here as well on Blog Talk. Bill actually started this before we even met, and uh, once I hijacked the A Smiling Will concept and turned it into something else, um, that was when we started doing the work, you know, on on our own work on spiritual awakening and consciousness and everything else. And I must say, what I've noticed is how serendipitous it is in terms of the people that we have on the show in just giving me that little bit of information that's absolutely perfect for that 
time. I don't know whether you have the same experience, Arun. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, we hear and we're presented with the kind of information that we need in exactly the time we need it. Um, it's interesting because when I started off, my first, really I interviewed long before even the Consciousness Revolution show, I interviewed people like Linda Taggart, uh, who wrote The Field and The Intention Experiment. And that was in 2007. I interviewed Dean Radin, who was on in Down the Rabbit Hole. And um, what was, where the world was back then, we were, you know, the, the people doing this kind of work, we were only few in number. And people weren't talking about a lot of the stuff going on in the world, not, not openly anyway, but now the world truly, truly has changed. Um, even a couple of weeks ago, I was hosting a conference between um, called the Conference for Conscious and Human Evolution, which is all to do with science, uh, the synergy between science and spirituality. And I was amazed that there were actually approximately nearly 600 people there present who really engaged. And we had um, people like Lynn McTaggart, Greg Braden, who's a hero of mine, um, some absolutely amazing people coming along. Yeah. Yes, and um, I did see that you were presenting that, and I believe you've got an opportunity to present at another um, event next year. Is that right, Haroon? It, 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 it's the same one. It's the same event. I mean, they, oh, uh, they, okay. they've not had they've not had uh, they've not had uh, a host there. They just introduced the speakers, and my job was really to do a bit of interviewing with them and also link up the speakers. And uh, to be honest, I was just having a joke and a laugh, making people laugh having fun with them, and they had such a uh, such rave reviews uh, because I, 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 you know, I, I made it a lot more fun, but they've asked me to come back again. Oh, brilliant. Well, congratulations on that. And, yeah, I, uh, I must say, we need to get some fun into this as well and not take it too seriously, and that's what we try and do. So, uh, you know, um, we can get a little bit over-serious about these things, but... Yeah, I think it's it's true, as you were saying, that there is a m massive increase in the number of people who are awakening. And um, I think there are more people out there than we actually realize because we were discussing this in our workshop that we delivered in Portland this um, weekend just gone. And um, you've, you come across people in the most unlikely places that you wouldn't imagine were very much into the consciousness movement and also um, very much on the, I, I don't like to call them conspiracy theorists now, I tend to call them conspiracy facts, factors. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think there's still a bit of reticence out there in, in terms of coming out it, uh, around spirituality, consciousness, and you know the truth movement, as it were, just because of um, there's still a lot of people out there very much either not aware or in denial of this, but you know seeding a few little terms to see whether they take the bait can often open people up and find there are lots more that are aware of this than we actually think. Are you finding the same thing, Haroon? Yeah, well, well, you know, the whole conspiracy thing, um, what does conspir conspiracy mean? It means to conspire or to come together to do some kind of action, um, which is, you know, goes against the grain of expectation. So, it's, you know, I mean, like, say, for example, I'm a firm believer that if you're somebody who's a visionary and you set a very positive high intention, then the universe 
conspired to make something materialize. And we can talk about that later. Um, so I'm, I'm not too bothered about the whole conspiracy theory thing <laughs> because, truth, truth, you know, people are waking up. Uh, they are talking about what happened in 9-11. They're talking about that in cafes and pubs. I'm overhearing conversations about stuff like that. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. People, I mean, you know, like I, I and maybe a handful of other people were, were the only people talking about it years ago. And there's a, there's a danger. There's a danger here. And the danger is this. So I'm going to be speaking at a group called the Yes Group in, at the end of September uh, 2015, um, which is a... They're very, they're very much into positive thinking, and I love that. I absolutely love positive thinking. However, the trouble is, when you're going too much one way or the other, you're at a violence. So, for example, we live in a dualistic universe. There's an up and a down, because without the up, you won't feel the down. There's a hot and a cold. There's positive and negative, and even in the scientific world, you know, like in, in the chemistry world, uh, in the physical, you know, quantum physics world, there's positive and negative. If somebody's constantly focusing on the positive, then they're really not living in a, how can I say, in a grounded world. And so what someone will have a positive thought, they want to do something, and it's rah, 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 positive, yeah, I can do it, I can. But then the subconscious mind which drives 95 to 97% of everybody's, you know, each individual's intentions, thoughts, feelings, behaviors, words spoken. Subconscious mind is saying, you're positive. I don't think so. For example, someone might do a lot of affirmations. I'm rich, I'm wealthy, etc. and the whole law of attraction thing. But the subconscious mind is saying, no, you're not. You grew up in poverty. You'll never make it. And so a lot of people on the, on the overly positive side aren't so balanced. But then if you look the other way as well, it's very easy to focus on all the negatives and get caught up. And, and I've done it myself. I've kind of like had to extricate myself out from watching conspiracy documentary after documentary, you know. And it's very easy to get caught up in the negative. And what the negative does is it activates the fight-or-flight syndrome. When your fight-or-flight syndrome is activated, then your blood and your hormones, they operate in such a way that you can literally physically fight or run like hell. Now, the hormones for growth, the hormones for repair when you're in a fight-or-flight syndrome, stop working. You don't need it, right? If you're chased by a lion, your body's not thinking, hmm, I want to look young. Your body's thinking, get the heck out of here, pump the adrenaline. And what that does is that ages the body. And so if it's, it's very easy to get caught up in something which is conspiratorial, fact or fiction, doesn't matter, because the mind perceives it as real. It's very if, if we don't balance it out with a positive focus, then people are left in fear and survival-based conditioning, which shuts down their awareness, shuts down their ability to live consciously. And so this is what the news, mainstream news media, like Fox News, and even the BBC, I mean, I've been watching their news, I don't watch news very often, but I've been following our new Labour leader and finding out you know, how they're dealing with the news, because as a, as a uh, 
um, owner of a radio station. I want to I know how other people are doing stuff as well. Um, so the whole news media, in my mind, has been designed or it's become such that it's there to keep people in the state of fear, survival, and consequently lack and poverty. And as long as you're in fear and survival, then you reduce significantly your ability to be creative and to manifest. So, I mean, to sum that up, I mean, it's so critical. I mean, all the work that I do, Untangled FM, FM does not stand for frequency modulation. It stands for freedom matters. So the work that I'm all on, on really about, what I'm about, is helping people to move away from fear and survival and tap into their greatest uh, creativity, which is universal <coughs> consciousness. Absolutely, um, totally agree with you there, Haroon. And uh, in the work that we do, you know, one of the core uh, tools that we teach people is the power of neutrality, which is to suspend judgment on this, and which also suspends the fear reaction. You know, it's more about awareness that um, can then shift to a solution focus and actually manifest the outcome that we all are seeking. And um, it's true that, you know, the change is going to happen one person at a time. And the more we can get people to focus on the positive outcome rather than on the problem, then the faster it's going to happen. Absolutely. And, you know, the systems that we live in are designed, are not designed to um, create entrepreneurs, create change makers. Systems designed, education systems certainly in the U.S. and certainly in the U.K., designed to create worker bees. So right now, for example, uh, we have this austerity measure being taken place in the United Kingdom. And we've got a new opposition leader to the Conservative Party called German, uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and the headline news across the board was Jeremy Corbyn did not sing the national anthem at some, you know, Remembrance Day type celebration. I mean, I, I know it's not Remembrance Day, but some kind of uh, memorial celebration thing. He, he didn't sing that. Um, but at the same time, so the guy does not sing the national anthem, which is archaic and, you know, antiquated anyway, the UK one, because it's actually very aggressive and uh, very, very harsh national anthem. So you got that going. But behind the scenes, at the same time on the day that the newspapers are splashed, you know, they had the headlines saying he's not been singing the national anthem. The government has massive austerity measures, taken that, which didn't even hit the news, or certainly not the front page news, where people are basically being taken below the poverty line even further in the United Kingdom. So, you know, a lot of the things, I mean, the whole education system, the whole... Uh, healthcare system that we have, the whole um, political system, the form of democracy has, is, in my mind, is very corrupted and very corruptible, the people who enter it. And like I said, to empower, so to, when we, as human beings, you as an individual, me as a, all us as, as individuals, we have, the power to be godlike. I'm not saying we're going to be gods, but to be godlike, to be able to manifest that will. When we're able to do that, we're not codependent 
to other individuals or systems or religions or organizations. Or, um, you know, we, we manifest that well. But we've all become very slave conscious because what we're doing is we're working our butts off to produce more and more goods, create more and more wastage, screw the planet more and more. And at the end of it all, we, what happens? We get to retirement, realize that we can't afford to live in the house we live in, downsize to something smaller, go to an old pay, pay, pay people's home. It's, it's like an assembly line. It's truly like an assembly line. You're born into this screwed up system. And by the time you're at death, you know, at your death then, it's like, okay, what the heck did I, what did I achieve in my life? So, and this is what you and I, you know, your, your show, my shows, my station, etc. what we're all about is to redirect people, re-guide them back to that space of, you know what? <coughs> You are the most powerful being you'll ever meet. And you can create and manifest consciously the reality that you want at any time. Absolutely. And, um, you know, what you were talking about in terms of the education system and so on, it's really interesting for me to see this on the other side of the uh, pond, as it were, you know, seeing what's happened in the, in the American system compared with what I saw in the, U- in the U.K., and exactly what you're saying um, happens, you know, both sides of of the the ocean. Um, I was when when I was in England, and there was this huge um, push to put more and more people through higher education. Um, I was seeing that as not necessarily beneficial because, you know, not everybody wants to do the academic route and it kind of lost the differentiation in terms of skills by kind of putting everybody through the same cottage machine. Mm. And what I didn't realize at the time was that it was really a ploy to get people into debt as early as possible because it also coincided with the removal of a lot of the funding for students. And the same thing has happened here. And and you've got people who have run up $100,000 worth of student loans, um, which is designed to just keep them in that system of the assembly line, as you say, and ending up at the end of the assembly line in the scrapyard at the end. Um, and I think part of... I, I know we don't want to get into the negative side of this, but part of the awakening is actually seeing the reality of the agendas and choosing not to buy into them, you know, not only in terms of education, but in terms of the pharmaceutical industry, the food industry. And the U.S. is probably an extreme, the most extreme example of deliberate withholding of information about what's in the food supply. You know, this is absolute um, refusal to label GMOs and to use what are substances, chemicals in the food that are banned in so many other countries Hmm. just to feed the pharmaceutical industry to to deal with the people who then become sick. Um, And yet it's painted as being all for our our good and beneficial and, and in some cases blatant lies around what what we're eating, what we're consuming. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, just just to answer the first point regarding the education system in the UK, back in the 1980s when I was at 
high school, um, we were told that if we had a university degree, we'd be one of the top 3% of the most intelligent people in the UK, and certainly we'll end up with a job for life. <laughs> well, by the time I got to university, um, it's like, you know, so many people go for the degree, it's like, okay, we're, we're no longer the top percentile, and now you're 100% correct that students are so debt-ridden when they go into university because it's quite, it's so expensive in the United Kingdom. I know in the U.S. that's for sure to get educated. And and I don't know. I've I've certainly been in debt before. And even though the debt wasn't very very large, it was actually relatively small. But it was large enough not to be able to pay it off in one go. It was. I found it very very debilitating. You know. And and when you when you put yourself in a lot of debt. You, you basically, again, damage your ability to create and manifest, and you stay in this um, survival mode. Yes, because, um, you know, being in debt actually puts you straight into lack and scarcity because you're always running to catch up. Mm. Um, and, in fact, I read a, um, one of the, the books that has been really influential for us in terms of how we operate a smiling world was the book Sacred Economics by Charles Eisenstein. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I am. I interviewed him. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's a great yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. And that was really explaining at the beginning in, in pre- pretty simple, you know, non-economic um, expert terms, layman's terms, how the system is rigged to keep people in scarcity. And, you know, this is what's been happening more and more um, through the debt, you know, encouraging people to get into debt. And the whole culture of of the economic system has shifted so much. When I was um, a lot, lot younger, there used to be um, a credit law that said if you wanted to get credit alone, you had to have a certain percentage to actually put down as a deposit, and of course that was that was uh, trashed, and and then it was 100% credit on everything. Um, so people were indoctrinated into buy now, pay later. I'm glad that you uh, actually interviewed him, uh, Haroon. That's interesting to hear because because his book, although I haven't read it. Jan filled me in on the details, and it is the basis by which we run a smiling world on a gift economy so that um, those who are in dire need are not excluded. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I I think the day will come when the monetary system will collapse. And and don't get me wrong, I'm not praying for that day. It's it's not like I'd like that day. but the monetary system we currently have is equals debt. Money equals debt, end of story, right now. And once upon a time, if you had gold, you know, bars of gold in the house and you wanted to store it, you'd stick it in the bank and they'd give you this promissory note, you know, that on representation, representation of this piece of paper, they'll give you your gold back. Well, now, uh, I don't know, for the longest time, certainly since Bretton Woods, uh, they've got rid of the uh, gold standard, but now, uh, and then there was a point where uh, banks needed to have a certain amount of money in their accounts 
relative to how much they give out. So say, for example, 10% of their total assets. Now, though, they don't even do that. Now, literally, they lend out money. All they do is add digits to people's accounts. And money they don't own, money they don't have, they lend it out. And what that does is it devalues the value of everything. So this particular current system, I'm trying to remember who, who was saying it now, we have, I think, 100 times more financial assets than we have real wealth. In other words, there's more money in the system than there is wealth that it represents. And that's held by, of course, as we know, the 1%. Absolutely, yes. And uh, um, I know we, well, Bill particularly tends to follow that, but I think there's a, there is a lot of warning that the financial collapse, particularly over here because of the so much printing of the dollar, it's become so um, such low value that um, you know it's not going to be accepted anymore in international exchange. Whereas it, it was the, the key currency for that uh, for, for international trade. So yes, yeah, so the system can't continue as it is, and I think the more people become aware of it, the, the faster it will. Uh, change. I mean, so it's like everything. Sometimes thing, you have to have chaos in order to create change. So it might be chaotic for a short time, but the actual benefits of that change, I think, will will manifest very quickly. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think our task, your task, my task, the task of our listeners here is not to stop panicking or getting worried about what's going to happen. It's going to happen anyway. But it's actually to reclaim their own power. You see, the biggest problem is that when we abdicate our power to governments, to the schooling system, to external bodies, to employers, we we basically, you know, all, all we're doing is turning up for work, giving whatever they give, and, and, and you know, not really thinking beyond... Beyond beyond this caged life, meaning that just think about it this way: that when you have the African slave slave trade, the Africans knew they were slaves, and the reason they knew they were slaves is they had chains on their uh, um, body, they had their uh, hands and their wrists and their ankles shackled up, they had um, braces around their neck, and they had you know they were behind bars. They knew they were slaves. We haven't changed that much now. The only difference between then and now is we are now enslaved to systems but because we don't see them. And because people don't see them, they don't realize how, how much, to what degree we're enslaved. So, for example, I don't know what the laws are in the U.S. For example, one of the things I encourage, I, I do, certainly, is I have a beautiful garden and I grow my own vegetables. Now, I don't know if you guys grow your own vegetables, but I remember back in the 70s when my uncle used to do that, we used to eat these potatoes, for example, and they have the most beautiful, gorgeous taste. And then over the years, we've stopped doing the vegetable growing, and we started eating stuff from the supermarket. And the food became more and more bland with less and less nutrition. But since I've been growing vegetables again the last couple of years, oh, my God, the taste of the food, it's fun eating the food. But I bet your bottom dollar, most people don't know how to grow vegetables anymore. They've, they've lost touch with nature. And by, being, by losing touch with nature, 
they've also lost touch with their own nature. So I think the thing what we have to do is start being discerning. Stop eating the processed food because that's, you know, most of it's toxic anyway. Stop eating that. Stop eating, you know, you mentioned about things that are labeled for sure. But, you know, like the GMO stuff. Well, how about if you can grow your own food, why don't you grow your own food? Why don't you get an allotment, a lot of land to do that? Why, do, why not eat fresh, fresh vegetables, non-GMO, of course, if you can find them? Well, why not eat more fresh food? Um, all of these toxic waste that we consume, once again, it brings, it damages our ability to be conscious creators. It starts dampening our ability to be able to tap into the highest level of creativity that there's and that we have um, that we have access to. So I think we, you know, rather than think in terms of oh my god, the monetary system is going to fall out. You know what? Yes, it may or may not do. They might, you know, come up with some other newfangled way of delaying the inevitable. But the bottom line is, worst case scenario, let's just say the monetary system collapses. It does collapse in the U.S. and it collapses worldwide. Or if it collapses in China, it might collapse worldwide. The fact of the matter is, the first thing people are going to be doing is they're going to be thinking, oh, my God, where am I going to eat? Where am I going to get my food from? So I think it's important, uh, even if you live in a city, for those listening just living in a city, even if it means growing small root vegetables on your, uh, on your, on your, on your windowsill or herbs or something, start connecting back with nature. Start connecting with nature because there's a world of difference between the con- the consciousness that fresh food carries and the processed foods that most people eat. Those processed foods are dead foods. They don't have any nutritional value, and more often than not, than not, they create many diseases, including cancer, including you know um, various digestive diseases. So we really need to start taking control, reclaiming control of our own lives by stop eating this nonsense. And, you know, one of the things, one of the best news that's come to light recently is McDonald's for the first time are starting to shut down some of their uh, restaurants uh, for the first time because normally they, they open up brand new restaurants here, there, and everywhere every month. Now it's reversing uh, the, the move, uh, their the restaurants are going the opposite direction. They're starting to close it down. I mean, that, that, that in itself is a poison factory. So that gives us an indication that people are waking up. Yes, and I think one of our roles is to actually, you know, spread the knowledge about this. You know, we've encountered people over here who don't even know what a GMO is or are under the misconception that it's no different to um, hybridization, which is, you know, very, very different. And yes, we um, we actually grew our own veggies at the when we were at the ranch and had chickens and I must say, home laid eggs are just incredible. They're so good, and it's one of our regrets that being on the road we can't actually do that now. But the taste of home homemade vegetables um, just out of this world. I used to grow them in England as well, and um, you know there are thing uh, initiatives springing up over here that I think originated in the UK actually with uh, you know, the towns that actually plant vegetables in containers on the street so that people can actually harvest off 
of the um, the plants there. They're actually starting to do similar things here, and the the awareness is definitely rising in relation to the damaging effects of the so-called food that is uh, created by the big food companies. There's certainly no nutrition in there at all. And one of the um, dilemmas still that that I have, and I'm moving more and more, and, and by me moving more and more, Bill has to move more and more to vegetarianism because, you know, the the cruelty and of the treatment of our animals in factory farms and feedlots and everything just really doesn't bear thinking about and battery hens, etc., etc. So, you know, it's also about not just about the food itself and what it does to the body. It's it's the consequences of how it's produced that we need to be aware of and do something about as well. And again, you know, vote with with your pounds and dollars and the companies that are perpetuating this unhealthy approach will either have to change or they'll go out of business. Are you still there, Haroon? Yes, I yes I am. Yes. Ah, right. I thought we'd lost you for a moment. <laughs> you, you did. You, you somehow got cut off, but I'm I'm back. Um, okay. You know, regarding vegetarian, uh, vegan food, I'm not, I'd love to move to veganism. I would love to move to it because my philosophy is pretty simple: cow's milk is designed for cows, baby cows. <laughs> cow's mm. milk is designed for big cows um, because. If you look at a cow, it's a big, massive beast. It's got certain natural... I'm talking about just organically now, without any hormones. They've got ghost hormones within themselves, which are designed to help baby calves, little baby cows, calves, grow to a massive beast. It's not natural for humans to be drinking cow's milk. I mean, it's natural for humans to be drinking their mother's milk when they're baby. And maybe up to the age of three, four, even five, I don't know. But you got that on one side. But also the important thing is quantum science and you know, many of the research shows that plants, certainly animals, plants, for example, have consciousness. It's been shown by Dr. Cleve Baxter back in the 60s. He did an experiment where he connected, I can't remember the exact, devices we connected the polygraph it was connected to actually um, to something I think it was a dragon plant and in his mind you know, he, he clipped uh, the, the little clips uh, from the polygraph straight into the uh, plant and after doing an experiment elsewhere and he said to himself you know I'm going to have to burn this plant afterwards he comes back to the polygraph and he sees a reading it goes off the scale and he's trying to figure out how the heck is this giving me a reading? And what he discovered was that when he traced it back, he found that every time he thought of burning that plant, it started freaking out. The uh, Literally, the electrical um, conductivity started racing. Um, it's, it's a bit like sweating. You know, polygraph measures, literally, it measures um, the amount of conductivity, the amount of sweating you do in your hands when you're telling alive or you're getting overexcited. So the polygraph was doing that for the plant. So what, what that demonstrated is that 
there are plants of consciousness. They're able to pick up on our thoughts. They might not have a brain like we do, but they have a consciousness. And don't you think animals have that consciousness as well? That they feel pain, they feel fear. So when a cow, for example, is slaughtered or a lamb is slaughtered, in that moment, it's in a state of fear. And those hormones that are released there and then, it's frozen into the body. And then when you cook those meats, you're consuming fear. There was an experiment, there was a news item on uh, a couple of days ago about the Koreans in Korea farming dogs. They're breeding dogs for consumption. In other words, um, eating dog meat is, um, you know, something which is uh, very natural. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and what they showed was that, look at this little pup. You know, they showed a pup. Look at this little pup. It's so cute. I mean, we in the UK and the US and Europe, we wouldn't think ever of killing this cute little thing and eating it. But we do that with little baby lambs. We do that with calves. We look at it. And we don't think twice about consuming those animal products. And, and, and I just want to add one more thing about animal products. Did you know, for example, you know, we've got this carbon dioxide uh, emissions being a big issue regarding global warming. Well, we can talk about global warming and global cooling, but the point is 9% of all the carbon dioxide emitted are from cows, from cattle. So if we wanted to really change, you know, uh, affect climate change, stop breeding cows, stop eating them, so they're not bred. And yeah, a big carbon dioxide emissions. Yeah, that's um, it's really interesting what you were saying about the um, you know the cow's milk and so on and um, yeah that was one thing I hadn't that hadn't really occurred to me. I mean we we don't actually use cow's milk. We use soy milk or almond milk or but we do eat cheese still. But um, we avoid like the plague the um, the milk or dairy products with the the genetically engineered growth hormone in it <laughs> but of course you're right there's a natural hormone there to make to you know help the calf to grow or the, the baby to grow so that's a really good point um mm. have you, have and, you know the, sorry go on go ahead i was just going to say going back to what you were saying Sorry, Jan, I can't hear you at all. You sound so distant. Ah, Bill, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Oh, okay. That's strange. Maybe the Skype connection just dropped for a moment. What hmm. I was saying, Haroon, is that um, you were talking about and what what I was saying is that because well, everything in the universe is vibrating, I can't, I can't actually hear you. Sorry, I heard everything is vibrating in you. I think I'm fading out on and off here, which is very yeah, strange. Yeah. 
Mm. Uh, okay. um, let me uh, step in here just one second. Uh, can you hear me okay, Karim? Yes, I can. Okay. Let me just do what we have to do. Um, you probably don't have this with GCHQ over in uh, England, but we seem to be, any of us on the light side, seem to be really a real big uh, audience, I guess you would say, or entertainment for the NSA and the CIA and all the spy agencies. And it's really ironic. And I, and I say this in good fun for everybody to have a laugh, but you would not believe how many times on a coaching call I've actually had to step in because of feedback and say, okay, guys, do you guys at the NSA, GCHQ, whoever it is that's listening in, we love having you and we hope you're getting something out of this call. But could you please turn your microphones off because we're getting feedback. And I cannot tell you, Haroon, how many times, dozens, <laughs> that automatically, instantly, it stops. So, like it has, all I would say, like it has, wow. Yeah, so all I would say is to our fans at the NSA, CIA, we're glad you're listening in. But please don't monkey with the radio waves on your cell phone waves on Jan's phone so we can finish this interview. We will be eternally grateful to you. Thank you. Now let's try again, Jan. <laughs> and I hope everybody got a laugh on that one. But it is true. <laughs> let's try again. Thank you. Um, I think I might have got to the source of the problem, actually. We have, have I did have the Wi-Fi turned on on my phone, and the Internet here is so uh, unreliable and kind of switches on and off that sometimes I think the phone's trying to reconnect to the Wi-Fi and then loses the signal it was happening to me yesterday. So I switched the Wi-Fi off. Hopefully now you'll be able to hear me okay. Haroon, am I coming through loud and clear? Perfect. Good. Okay. So going back to what I was saying about consciousness, that everything is vibrating energy, um, we're all, everything in the universe is vibrating energy. So it follows that everything has consciousness. And this is something that um, is in the book, The Holographic Universe. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the argument was that if you can... um, if if psychokinesis occurs, then there must be some connection between our consciousness and the consciousness of the object. So I believe, you know, that everything has a consciousness. We're just not aware of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Nikola Tesla said it best. If you want to understand the universe, then understand energy and vibration. Energy and vibration. So I come from the space, so I do a lot of healing work. And uh, it's something I fell into. It's not something that I chose to do as a career. I just seem to be pretty good at it. And I had to go through my own healing crisis. And, and then I learned this amazing stuff. And, you know, my clients, what I tell them is everything's about vibration. Every single thing. The science proves it. Um, the spiritual world, the mystical world proves it. And what I do is get people to visualize that there's a connection between you and the person next to you, your family members, your parents for certain, if you don't have any siblings, there's a connection between you and 7.25 billion people on the planet, if that's how much the population is right now. There's connection between you and every single living sentient being on the planet, including the plants, including the animals, including the spiders, 
there is a connection. I, th- I think in terms of the movie Avatar, everything's connected. There is no separation. So Prince Charles used to do this years ago. We used to think he was mad in the 1980s. We'd hear about him talking to his plants. And you know, the funny thing is, now we can show scientifically that when you talk to your plants, they end up becoming more healthy, full of vitality, and they last much longer. Um, everything's vibration. So if, we're, if you're in a situation in your life where you've got stuff happening which isn't what you choose, you prefer, isn't the kind of stuff you want, basically it's a crap. At some level, you are resonating at that level of vibration, whether it be another human being, so you're in a romantic relationship. If you're in a relationship with someone, you attracted that person at a certain time, like my first, uh, well, my only marriage, when I, was, uh, when I got married, I attracted a certain type of person. She was beautiful. She was absolutely right for me at that time. Um, however, I kind of like was living in the uh, rougher neighborhoods at that time, a ghetto-type neighborhood, and I attracted that kind of person. There's no wrong, there's no right. And as we progress through life, we meet people in accordance to our vibration. But if you want to check what kind of level you're resonating at, then all you need to do is look at the people you're surrounded by, primarily surrounded by. Look at your top five people you're surrounded by. Who do you spend the most amount of time? You know, growing up in a very tough neighborhood, in several tough neighborhoods, I just wanted to be around one or two people who are inspiring, who help me help lift my spirit. That's what inspiration means. People I can learn from. And I'm blessed because today, just about everybody around me is inspiring. I get to speak to some of the world's best teachers, some of the world's best uh, philosophers and scientists. And the way I did that was I consciously chose that's what I wanted. And it's the same with our listeners here, whether you, you know, you don't have to be following the same path as I am, but certainly if you want to be surrounded, if you want to change your life, you have to consciously choose what level of consciousness you want to play at. If you're just interested in making ends meet, you know, paying the bills and so on, that's fine. No judgment on that. That's where you're at. But if you're somebody who wants to make a difference to, say, for example, <clears throat> you, want, you want to make a difference to your community, you have to have a city-wide, town-wide vision. If you want to make a difference to your town or city, you have to have a country-wide, a nationwide vision. If you want to make a difference to your country, you have to have a global vision. But, and this is where people like you, Jan and Bill, and myself, were playing at, if you want to make a difference to the planet, you have to have an astronomical vision that transcends space, transcends time. This is why we do what we do. Absolutely. And uh, this is probably a, a good place to just um, have our short music break that we usually have uh, halfway through the show. And uh, really looking forward to exploring more of this conversation with you, Haroon, in just a few minutes. It'll give me a chance to grab a drink or whatever. And uh, I'm going to hand over to Bill. Uh, for him to put some music on and thank you for doing this wonderful conversation so over to Bill Hey um, Haroon I'm going to ask you to pick something Uh, you may not be familiar with these tunes but I'm just going to ask you to pick our break song based on just a gut feel or a hunch 
based on the titles. We we use one a lot called Is This the Way Life's Meant to Be? about somebody transported into the future and seeing what kind of a mess the world has become. And we're sort of already there and, and how it's meant to be a better way. There's another one that's called The Tide is Turning that we use a lot about the tide turning to the to away from the darker side. And there's uh, the classic Beach Boys, Good Vibrations. So which one of those three do you think we should use for a quick break? For everybody I, I, I think all three are amazing already based on what you've just said. Uh, I love Good Vibrations. I think let's, let's go for Tide, the tide is Turning because there's a massive... Let's, shift in consciousness, and I think this is the most apt one right now. Titus turning. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I'm, am I, unfortunately, <laughs> all of these wonderful bands, Clear Back to the Beach Boys in 1963, um, were a big part of my life. Huge concerts and what have you. And I, I definitely qualify for the t- T-shirt that says I may be older, but I saw all the great bands, except I'm going to add a line on the bottom that says, and that's the reason I have a little trouble hearing now. <laughs> so I, when I meet up with you, Haroon, we're going to do some healing sessions on my ears. But I agree, the tightest turning <laughs> is really good. And um, when Roger sings the line in there, it's something for everybody to think about, about who holds the aces, the east or the west, and this is the crap that our children are learning, and oh, but the tide is turning. I think that really is something that people can think on. So we've got five minutes and 43 seconds to do whatever everybody needs to do, and grab a cup of tea, and we're going to be back with this really cool interview. I'm loving it, uh, even though I'm just listening more in the background. So here we go, and we'll be back with you in just about five minutes and 40 seconds. Hang in there. This is the crap 
Okay, folks, there it was. Roger Waters off of the album Radio Chaos. And it's the tide is turning. And I kind of cut that a little bit short right there at the end and turned it down and got right back on because Haroon's calling in from England and it's a long, long way across the pond. So I wanted to get his mic back on and get right back to him and Jam because this is a great show, a lot of great information. So welcome back, Haroon. And uh, Jam, rock and roll. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you. And uh, just before we go back to Haroon, I'd just like to remind everybody about the A Smiling World website, which is asmilingworld.org or .com. You'll get to the same place regardless of which you use. And also, you can find us on Facebook as well. We have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash powerful people. And we have an A Smiling World Conscious Community group on there as well, which you could look for. And uh, by all means, please come along and make yourself known and, and interact with us. We really want to hear all about you and the kind of things that you're looking for in life so that we can get more clues on how best to help people. So thank you again for listening. And I'm going to go back to Haroon. And Haroon, perhaps it would be a good point for you to actually share the... Um, the link to Untangled FM so that people can actually go and see what you have on the radio station and actually listen in. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, Untangled FM is easy. It's untangledfm.com. So U-N-T-A-N-G-L-E-D-F for Freddie and for Mother, dot com. And uh, there you'll find... Uh, the most up-to-date shows and past shows. Just click on any of the links and you'll get a whole range of shows coming up. And, you know, there's a lot of exciting things happening. A lot of exciting things. So, I'm curious, Haru, what made you come up with that name? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Um, I love the word entangled. Uh, and, and as an entanglement. Um, mm-hmm. So, ent- entanglement means, basically, we're all interconnected. And... Also, it means that it's all about an unfolding. So it's really about unfolding our story, but it's also, at the same time, it also means every single one of us are interconnected. So that's, um, and a great friend of mine who lives in San Francisco, he actually came out with a name. And, uh, I mean, if I want a creative idea, I just give him a call and say, hey, what do you think? And within five minutes, he's, he comes out with crazy, goofy ideas, which sometimes they work, and this one seems to work. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I did wonder if it was something to do with that. And I think now, Haru, you've got other presenters on the show, have, on the radio station, haven't you? Would you like to just tell us a bit more about the range of things that, that listeners could expect to hear and um, you know, a bit more about the stage that the radio station has got to now? Yeah, so we launched the fish in March um, 2012, so it's over three years old now, and it's got to a stage where we've, you know, we we used to cover quite a few topics, but I'm on purpose narrowing it down to a few core areas. Why? Because a lot of people want to know more about relationships. So we're developing um, a, a separate site to this, purely about relationships, so romantic relationships I'm talking about. And we've had people like Ariel Ford, um, Dr. John Gray, Marion Williamson, join me for a summit earlier this year and uh, yeah so they're going to be featured on that side so we're going to do a lot more on relationships because um, I'm a firm believer that life is about relationships and John Gray actually says life is about your health and relationships and the rest is stuff 
so we've got that going. We've got shows on uh, veganism, vegetarian food. We've got shows on women empowerment, like you mentioned, shows for young people, teenagers. And one of the areas I'm very happy to be launching very soon is one purely about entrepreneurs with a social conscience. So that it's actually a separate podcast, but it still goes to Untangle, which is called Grow with purpose.com go with purpose and that should be launched sometime this week um go with purpose and, and the idea is that I, I am a firm believer that we have many types of change makers on the planet however when it comes down to it i don't trust governments because they don't seem to be doing a very good job and they're very short-term minded anything between four and five four to six years you know, obviously, it depends on how long they're going to be in power as presidents and prime ministers. You got that. Um, charities do a good job, but they're constantly running around with begging bowls and they've got so much bureaucracy. And I believe the people who are going to lift the people out of poverty, the people who are going to bring the best healthcare systems, are entrepreneurs who are heart centered. So we're doing literally a series of regular interviews with heart centered entrepreneurs, people who want to make a difference. And I don't know if you found this, but um, a lot of people who are therapists, healers, change makers are naturally gifted with some kind of healing ability. But you know what? They're very abundant in many things, but when it comes to money, they struggle. And the simple reason they struggle is they think, oh, I'm gifted. I can't charge for my gift. And the problem is this, that when you have a gift, so I have a gift of healing that, you know, um, I didn't realize, but my family have a, uh, I'm directly descended from 600 years of Sufi mystic healers. I didn't know that until earlier this year. So I have this gift. Now, if somebody comes to me and says to me, Haroon, I'd like some healing, either over the phone, over Skype, or in physical uh, presence, <clears throat> it costs me money to rent the place. If I'm going to really do a good job, if I'm doing it all for free, then who's going to pay for my food? Who's going to pay for my mortgage or my rent or my travel, etc.? So we must charge. You've got that on one side. We must look after ourselves. We're being, if you're a gifted healer or a therapist and you're not looking after yourself, then you're being selfish. You're saying, I'm here to serve the planet, but I'm not good enough to deserve any money. So you've got that happening. On the other side as well, and this is important, very, very important, when I found that uh, when I used to teach martial arts, uh, this is back in the early to mid-90s, um, I used to have two Kung Fu schools of my own. I used to teach in two others, four. And I found the people who are charged the most, uh, not the people who are charged the most, tended to value the training far better, far more. So they worked harder. So I found also in the area of healing, the people I who seem to put more money in towards their healing tend to get better results. Um, it's a psychological thing. If at the end of the day, somebody really values what I've got to offer, then they will come up with the money. Even I've had people, I've had someone with breast cancer come to me who said to me, oh, Haroon, I really want to do this heart and healing that you're doing. But I can't, and I know it's the right thing, but I can't afford it because, you know, I'm paying back all these healers that I've turned to and therapists um, and for the work that they've done. And I'm thinking in my head, setting out an intention there that, hold on, 
you're going to all these people and you're paying them money, but they haven't fixed you. They haven't got rid of your breast cancer. But you're coming to me and so something inside of me knew that she was going to get healed, and she did, by the way. Um, you're coming to me and I'm going to heal your cancer at some level, but you don't want to pay me. That doesn't make sense. So I said to her, look, save up some money, come to me when you're ready. Funny enough, this person who wasn't working or anything, following his week, had enough money to have a series of sessions with me. I've had people... So it's, it's really about value. When you truly value yourself and the gift that you've inherited from the divine or from wherever, the universe, if you truly value it, and it's important that you charge not a small amount, but a reasonable amount which is fair. And of course, there are people there who perhaps can't afford to come to you. And so what I say to clients, when I teach them, and I mentor clients, I say to them, look, if you're worried about those one or two people in your life who you would love to give it for free simply because they can't afford it, well, yes, spend half a day a week, that's 10% of your time, gifting that to people who need it but can't afford it. But then use the rest of the week to sustain yourself and grow your practice. Because the more you grow it, it might be online, it might be offline, the more you grow it, the more you can reach out to people and the more difference you will make. The whole money thing is an illusion. It's all about value. It's nothing to do with money. But when people... In my mind, money is very simply this. Money is a form of gratitude that is expressed by somebody who feels grateful for services rendered. So if they're grateful for something, they're saying, hey, listen, rather than give you a couple of chickens or, um, you know, like a bushel of wheat or something, let me give you something that you can easily eat. Let me give you the digital notes information, you know, like uh, money, cash, paper, because you'll probably be able to do more stuff with it. So it's important that there is always an energy exchange. Absolutely, I agree totally. And uh, I think, you know, this whole thing about the um, the holistic community is, I think it's quite multi-leveled, this whole thing about scarcity. And there is, you know, yeah, some of it is, you know, spirituality and money don't mix or... Um, uh, my my services should be free because um, I'm you know I, I want to save the world and help people. But there's also a lot of other things around that. I mean we are we are indoctrinated into scarcity consciousness, and that can be quite a hard uh, belief to shift. And of course, as you know, what's in your consciousness is reflected back to you. So they attract people who cannot afford to pay. And, um, yeah, and also, you know, past life stuff like vows of poverty that are still, you know, contracts are still in place and so on. Um, it's one of the things we really focus on in the in in our workshops and in our in my coaching and and the online course that's coming up is really focused on shifting those conscious beliefs so yeah, that you, know, you change so, to attract the things that are beneficial for you. <laughs> yeah, it's, for example, the whole poverty thing comes a lot from Christianity. 
Um, and I'm not blaming her. She's come from Christianity in the sense that, and, and I know it's been totally misinterpreted, misconstrued, and just taken away. Um, first of all, you're God, if you're a Christian. You're God, created the universe. So God is wealthy, right? God is wealthy beyond imagination. And you want to connect to God, then become God-like, get closer to God. The whole poverty thing, I don't understand why people don't see this, that the church that they turn to, and it could be any religion, by the way, I'm just picking on Christianity on purpose, just now, because it's an easy example. Um, your church tells you, you know, that the meek and the poor shall inherit the earth, which I think is probably, again, misinterpreted. Um, and yet your church, the Vatican, uh, is, which is the head of the Catholic Church, is the most wealthiest organization stroke institute which is not privately owned by one individual or not is not a public organization, meaning it's not a uh, listed company. So it's neither privately owned by a single individual nor is it publicly listed. But bar none, it is the richest organization in the world. So what, what the heck is going on there? Not, What's wrong with that not, picture? <laughs> yeah, that picture doesn't match up, right? So I do believe, I do believe that when we generate our income, I do believe that 10% is a form of tithing. It doesn't have to be religious tithing. 10% should be given to other causes, which are causes which are not really directly affecting you. So it could be, you know, an orphanage or, you know, um, autistic children's uh, playground or something. Um, it could be anything. It could be... The, just to the point, someone who's got absolutely no connection to you. And in terms of here's a, here's a great tip for anybody who's earning any kind of money. When you get paid, split the money into four parts. 10% goes to <coughs> the divine. Then, And here, by the way, this is what happens when a rich person uh, gets money. They, first of all, they split their money into three bits, which is paying Caesar, paying selves, so that's buying stocks, shares, their own property, their own education, and then their suppliers. Now, a rich, rich folks, what they do is this. They pay themselves first. They put money into their bank account or money into property, which is an asset which will grow. They then pay their pay the Caesar, taxmen, IRS or whoever, and they pay them next. And they say, okay, here you go. We're going to pay you because otherwise you're going to lock us up. And then they're left with whatever's left over. They then use that for suppliers. Suppliers being the people who are providing your internet, your food bills, your food costs, your transportation, your telephone costs. All of those are suppliers. Anything that you're giving someone money for in exchange of a good or a service are your suppliers. This is, so the rich folks, let me just reiterate, rich folks pay themselves first, pay the taxman next, then they pay their suppliers, <laughs> which means they have to be very stingy and tight about what they do with their money. They have to be very prudent. On the other hand, typically poor people, they do this. They pay their Caesar first, then they pay their suppliers. And then if anything is left over, which is usually zero, they pay themselves. See the difference? It's the, just the shift in the mindset. 
Because most people, what they do, healers and therapists and whoever, they do not value themselves high enough. They operate from fear, oh my God, I don't have enough food, or oh my God, I'm going to pay the tax bill and so on, rather than look after themselves and put a value on themselves. This is why wealthy people get wealthier, simply because they're constantly reinvesting in themselves. And that's a move. I would love to see the rest of the world start thinking like that. Because if, say, for example, you, I don't know, you're making $3,000 a month, 1000 goes into tax, and then you give a thousand to, um, you pay yourself a thousand. That means you've only got a thousand bucks, thousand pounds, to work with, and you have to be very creative, very frugal. Now, when you're working at that kind of level, but everything, all your essential costs are covered, you become creative and you start finding new ways of creating more income. The worst way, the worst way to help people out of poverty, is to become one of them. The best best way to help someone out of poverty is to become wealthy and abundant. I'm not talking about excess uber wealth where, you know, you've got $10 billion sitting in your account. I'm talking about wealthy so that you're financially free, so you no longer have to be a slave to a Actually, do a webinar on that. Uh, I'll be on Untangled.fm, so I'll put a webinar details up uh, over the next Um so I, I encourage people to join in that webinar. What we're going to do is <coughs> bust the money blockages that people have because there's some very there's a very similar patterns to people with money issues. And if we can block, you know, bust those particular uh, how can I say poverty issues, then we can flip the switch and start getting people to start becoming more abundant in their life. Absolutely, Haroon, and I'm, I'm sure that'll be a really great webinar for because you're right, you know, the healers, the light worker community, there are a huge number of people who are literally just <laughs> scraping by at the moment. And uh, there's a, as I said, the, there's a belief in, you know, it's difficult to get money and so on. And I think it's also linked to self-worth, isn't it? Because if you're not valuing yourself, as you say, then you're kind of putting out that energy of low value, which um, is all that comes back to you. So some great advice there. Yeah, and, you know, Dr. John D. Martini says it really well, which is your net worth is directly correlated, linked to your self-worth. So mm. if you're that great... I, I mean, I'll tell people that, I mean, how much I'm currently charging because my fee doesn't go up. My healing sessions, for example, are £200, which is, I think, approximately $300 to speak to me face-to-face or over Skype. It's 125 And some people might say, well, hold on. How is that? Well, how come you're charging as much as you do when other people are charging a fraction of what you do? Very simple. You know, with total certainty, and I need confidence, certainty, that what I'm doing to help people heal different facets of their life, it has a long-term effect and it has a rapid effect. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I don't want to know your life story. I want to get to the cause. When you get to the cause, you see we're all created energetically. You, Jan, 50% of your energy is from your mother, 50% from your father. When you were born, 
two hearts. You had the spiritual heart and you got a physical heart. When you were born, you had 100% of energy flowing through your heart. And like, like, like driving a car on a hot sunny day through the woods or something, when you drive in those conditions, you, uh, you'll come across insects and they'll get splattered on your windscreen. Sorry for using the graphics, but that's how it is. What would you do normally? You'd wipe, use your wiper, right? And you'd use your wash to clean the muck off your windscreen. Now, imagine driving in those conditions for not five minutes, but for hours and hours, maybe days. What's going to happen to your windscreen? It's going to be full of muck if you don't clean it. And with the spiritual heart, your heart is flowing perfectly, unimpeded, uninterrupted from the moment you were born. But then every negative experience, not the positive one, every negative experience could be as simple as a no, a rejection like that, to a physical abuse, is like a splatter across your windscreen of your spiritual heart. So by the time most people get to adulthood, 99% of their heart energy is no longer flowing. Only a percentage for most people. Politicians, it's about 0.01%. Simply because, <laughs> you know, because of the lies and the deceits, etc., etc. And there are people who are famous spiritual authors whose heart energy isn't flowing so much. And why is that a case? Because nobody taught us how to clean our hearts up. We weren't taught that at school. We weren't taught by our parents because they didn't know how. It's not their fault. It's not your fault. But now it's possible to clean that up. Even spiritual authors didn't know that. So I know, for example, the value. Talk about value. I'm one of the few rare people on the planet who do the kind of healing that I do. Um, so then I can upgrade my value and say, yeah, this is what I'm worth. I'm saving, I'm actually literally saving people's lives. And so if you as a healer, coach, a therapist, a speaker, truly know with certainty, not with confidence, that's in your head again, you know from your heart, that you are making a significant difference to someone's life, how dare you not charge them a fair value? So they're going to pay. If they already see the how much value you're creating, of course they're going to pay. But if you don't believe in it, then of course you're going to attract, like you said, Jan, you're going to attract into your life people who are freebie seekers, people who are not going to invest in themselves. And, you know, that's their, that part of their journey. You, there's 2.5 billion people on the planet, Janet, 300 million in the U.S., 60 million in the U.K. I know, as a fact, that there's no way I could even reach a million people directly in the healing element, healing side, in my lifetime. So why am I so worried about focusing on people and attracting people who aren't even going to value the work that I do? Why somebody in the U.S. who might be a good healer, a therapist, a coach, a holistic nutritional coach or something like that, why, why would they not value themselves? It's crazy. Absolutely right, Haroon. And uh, some, some really great philosophy there. Um, so you were telling us about the cleaning the heart and healing the heart. That's a really interesting point because... 
society teaches us to be in our heads so much as well, doesn't it? And I must admit, with my background in years in corporate IT and my personality type, I tend to be very logical and have had to consciously shift out of, you know, putting head first and actually really shifting into the heart space as well. So, um, you know, tell us a little bit more about this whole process of healing. Yeah, so people, you, you've heard of the term mindfulness. And mindfulness about being aware of your thoughts and your feelings and so on and so on. My, the brain is a very, it's the crowning glory, as my friend Joe Dispenza said, the crowning glory of human evolution, mammalian evolution. There's so much going on in the brain. It's amazing, truly, truly amazing. But here's the thing about brain. Most of what's in the brain are as a result of programming, beliefs, conditioning. The head has control issues. Is constantly looking for control. The heart has no control issues. And the heart, as a result, because it didn't have control issues, you become you become super influential. You manifest far quicker from the heart and it makes a big difference. Now uh, far from it. I'm not one of these people who say, hey, go into your heart and just live from your heart. That's nonsense. Because the heart the heart when we live from our heart meaning that we're following our passion, we're living a life of purpose then the head becomes our servant. When we start following the servant it's a big Letting somebody, it's like driving a car and letting your navigator who doesn't even know how to drive, drive your car. So healing the heart, maybe says, the Native Americans, they say, the longest journey you will ever take is that of from your head to your heart. And so in order to go through a healing process, first of all, one of the things I do is I get people, say for example, they have an issue um, let's just say money, since we were talking about money earlier on. So they've got an issue with money. They're not making any, enough money. I'm sure to, first of all, understand their thought patterns, their dominating thought patterns. Their thought pattern might be something like, um, it boils down to, I don't deserve to get paid. I'm not good enough to get paid. And then, so that, that that's at the head level. That's what the head says. But then what it does is, it Activates the emotions. I'll get them to tune into their emotions. So how does that make you feel? I'm not good enough. It makes me feel sad. It makes me feel like unvalued, unloved. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. And so what I do is I get to that earliest experience in their life where they felt they were not worthy. They weren't good enough to deserve, say for example, their mom didn't buy them a pair of shoes. They didn't deserve it. And so for the rest of their life, they walk around, even if they're earning money, they feel undeserving. So how do you heal? Is you don't go and push it away. You embrace the hurt and the pain. A very critical point here to make. You embrace that, asset, that facet of you 
which is causing you the pain. So someone might, for example, um, let's say it's a relationship now. Let's just say um, it's a woman and she wants to attract her soulmate. And she feels that she doesn't deserve somebody who's loyal for whatever reason. She doesn't deserve the attention of this person. Now, what I've found in my healing practice is that when I ask students, I go back to the origin and I find out that for women, if they've had daddy issues, <clears throat> meaning daddy didn't give attention, daddy wasn't loving, daddy was even abusive because, you know, 25% of women approximately, maybe even men, have suffered from some form of incest, you know, which is horrifying. So when they've got these issues going on, negative energies between father and daughter represents her divine masculine energy inside of her. So thereafter, on a psychological and energetic level, she will attract guys into her life who don't give the attention, who basically behave like their father did. Here, here's an example. There's a um, one of my clients, She her daughter is 19 or 20, and she was very upset with her dad. I won't go into details because it's confidential, but she's very upset with her dad. And she, well, when I say upset, really, really angry with him. And we did some healing <laughs> around the whole anger because anger is not, it's like you know, getting angry with someone. It's like drinking a bottle of poison and hoping the other person will die. Um, <laughs> crazy, right? So mm-hmm. she, I, I worked with her and I said to her, okay, look, here's the biggest reason why you must Embrace your anger and then neutralize it. The reason is if you don't, you'll have that vibration of male energy represents people who are going to make me angry. And you end up meeting a guy. He looks absolutely the perfect guy for you, this armor, absolutely loving towards you. And then before you know it, you'll end up turning up to be exactly like your dad. Now, she did, so we had the session, it was great. She didn't tell me at that point that she was seeing somebody. So I think a couple of weeks later, her mother said, oh, yeah, yeah, she's seeing a guy. Not only is this guy, this guy exactly like, he even had the same first name. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Absolutely, totally. So, you know, that's probably why she didn't tell me that she had a boyfriend who is named like her dad. She split up him. So, So, the feeling is this. We have to heal. You have your inner masculine energy and your inner feminine. Now, when you were raised, when you were born, your mommy and your daddy raised you. Even if one of the parents were absent, energetically they raised you at some level. Now, up to the age of seven or eight, that's why the most critical time of upbringing, your, spirit, your emotional and your energetic makeup more or less set in place. So the Jesuit used to say, give me a boy, young boy, a baby basically, and leave him with me for seven years, eight years, and I will show you the man. In other words, they conditioned them such that they would become exactly what them to become. So when a woman issues with her dad, she will have the same issues with external uh, internal, the internal energy and masculine inside of 
like so it might be a dad who's disapproving or controlling so because she's vibrating out this energy of disapproval and control from the masculine side she will attract a man who's disapproving or controlling um it applies in reverse by the way uh for men you know a man who's got issues with his mother will have issues with other females as well and so going back to the woman if the woman has issues with her mother and everything's okay with her father then that will manifest in the form of she's not how can i say she's not stepping into a true femininity she kind of like repels it away there's an aversion to be truly honoring her own femininity so <clears throat> healing is not about trying to attract the next person healing in fact the whole life journey us being born spiritual beings having experience physical extra human experience our whole journey of life in itself is to pick up those signs that the universe gives us learn the lessons forgive those who we need to forgive forgive ourselves be grateful for the lessons and then transcend that illusion So it's all about transcending one illusion to the next. The universe throws the signs all the time, Jan. The universe will tickle you with a feather and say to you, "Hey, wake up! There's a lesson to be learned." If you ignore it, the universe will send you, hit you with a little pebble, and you go, "Ouch! What the heck was that?" If you ignore that, the universe will hit you with a rock. Ignore that, the boulder will crash on you. Ignore that, the mountain will come down crashing on you. And at some point, you will wake up. At some point, you wake up. the key is to be conscious enough and aware enough to be to wake up when the feather is tickling you and typically when the mountain comes crashing down it's usually the people who they, they'll see in the, they'll experience it in the form of maybe a divorce maybe somebody dying in their life maybe a disease like cancer something like that so the universe does give us signs all the time consciousness raising our consciousness is about being raising our awareness of those signs and adapting and amending our thoughts feelings behaviors the words we speak the actions we take in accordance to the lessons so healing as far as i'm concerned is about helping my clients to recognize their lessons my clients to get to i've i have i've been following a life map which has led me to where I'm at but now now that I'm aware of my patterns and my conditioning I can turn it on its head and create a blueprint for the rest of my life because at that point when you realize that you can create a blueprint then you have woken up and then you become your inner parents you become the inner mother the inner father raising that beautiful and then you become the master of your own destiny so that's what healing is about brilliant Haroon thank you for sharing that that's uh, that's wonderful and i have to say you know we <laughs> it is as it would be you know kind of a universal principle here because very similar to the kind of approaches that that we use as well which is not surprising really so <laughs> but it is a wonderful process to take people through and very rewarding when you actually see the change in them and when they get those aha moments and things start to shift it's uh, probably the greatest joy of all i think wouldn't you agree 
And I, absolutely. You know, I was with a client a couple of weeks ago. She she came to my clinic. Now she's a healer, and she's in her seventies or late sixties. I can't remember. I don't. She's a lady. I'm not going to ask her what her age is, but I know she's past pension her age. And um, she's a phenomenal healer, but she's only generating between five and ten thousand pounds a year because she just didn't know how to attract the money. And we did some healing. One session we did it, and literally the actual process hardly took any time. And now, within after that session, she's now from earning less than £10,000 a year, she's on track to earn £50,000 in the next 12 months. Simply because she's able to recognize a blockage and then quickly shift and move that blockage and put a blueprint in, in place for her to now enjoy the abundance, not just in health, not just in relationships, not just as a healer, but also her own wealth. Yeah, Haran, that is so good. And, you know, I know I don't have to tell you this, and anybody that's out there in the business of working with people uh, fully understands it, that every time you work with somebody, even that's aligned with the type of work you do, um, you just learn so much. I was listening to you um, that last segment that you were talking about. I've been listening to the whole show, but my that last segment, you really hit on some things. And it's kind of like sometimes we have these moments. It's like, well, I know this, and it's an aha moment that I know some of this, and I hear maybe an idea or two that's new, but the underlying thing is you have that aha moment. I know some of this, but am I actually practicing it? Am I actually applying it? And I realized <laughs> that, you know, it was kind of like looking in the mirror and going, you know, I always said to people when I used to give talks long, long ago in Colorado with the Colorado Speakers Association, I used to challenge people to stand in the morning and look in the mirror and talk to themselves and see if they could keep eye contact with themselves. <laughs> because a lot yeah. of times it it means that, that you you know you're hiding something or you're not doing something you know you should be doing. And when I was listening to you, I was sitting there thinking, ooh, you know, there's a couple of real challenges that have been, uh, I keep saying, you know, well, when you're right at the top of the mountain and you're releasing all this new material and everything else, as you climb up the mountain, the air gets thinner, you're also tireder, but you just keep pushing that last little bit, and when you hit the vista and look down on the valley, you go, oh, it's like a snowball rolling downhill now, and it's sort of a relief, but the problem that you kind of brought to light that I think that part of that is true, but I think I've been looking at that and wondering when I was listening to you talk, if a little bit of it wasn't also making an excuse rather than saying, I know I should be doing this or this and kind of deferring over to that, a little bit of that excuse. Well, it's just the air's getting thinner, I'm getting tired or, or whatever, rather than, than actually maybe sitting down on a rock, so to speak catching my breath and saying, what is it that I know I should be doing or I've learned, like listening to you, a couple of ideas, what are those things I should be doing? And let me catch my breath and get organized and start applying it. And I think the young lady you were talking about that was moving on track, um, that's something that Jan and I have probably uh, done 
quite a bit ourselves, is looked at things and been so focused on helping everybody and doing this and doing that and looking at it from the standpoint of it's important to get the help out there to the people that sometimes we turn around and look and we go, uh-oh, we've backed ourselves into a little bit of a corner here because we haven't been paying enough attention. And I think we all do that a little bit sometimes when we get out there teaching and working. Um, it's it's like I said in the workshop over the weekend, you know, you have to be, for lack of a better word, selfish and say, how can I take care of self? Because people like Michael Bell, who became the great computer guru, um, and biggest computer company in the world. He's building an entire hospital in Austin now uh, for the University of Texas. And I said, you know, if he had not uh, made the choice to to go where his parents wanted him to go to medical school and made the decision he wanted to follow his dream, his heart, and be in the computer business, had he not done that, and had he not sold those computers and made money and built that industry, he wouldn't be in the position to build hospitals. And sometimes we we lose track of the fact that we need to get ourselves on good, solid footing with the right uh, connection of heart to where we can build actually giving more rather than struggling constantly and trying to give all we can and that not mounting to near what it could have been if we got ourselves on solid ground. Does that make sense? Does that seem to be somewhat on track? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, it's very interesting. There's a Chinese saying, Confucius says, (laughs) he says, to know and not to do is not to know. So a lot of people, they will read books, listen to podcasts, audio programs, which is seminars, they, they become junkies of information. But unless you're p- applying that information, it's absolutely meaningless. It's a bit like, and, and, and I think a great example is, it's a bit like reading a book on how to swim. Now you can read and read and read and read and read, you learn about practicing thin head you know, in your bedroom, pretend you're swimming, um, you could watch DVDs and so on, and even get mentored. But until you swim, until you start practicing it, it's absolutely meaningless. Because what would happen is we give ourselves this, we delude ourselves into thinking, I've read this information, I've heard this before, I know this stuff. No, you don't. Because if you were a swimmer and you said that, we dropped you in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, you would drown within a couple of minutes. And the reason people do that is, the reason why you know, the whole thing of people not taking action is they follow, they think of, I forget the most important question. Why? They ask, them, uh, they ask themselves, how can I do this? Which is the wrong question to ask. They, they don't focus on the most important bit, which is, why am I doing this? And that comes from the heart. So may I share with you five steps. People talk about finding their purpose. May I share with you five quickies, quick ways to find your purpose? To those who are listening, of course. Yes, sorry. Bill was just pointing at something at me, actually. I was trying to work out what he was meaning. But, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. You know, there is the saying, knowledge is power, but it's actually applied knowledge is power, isn't it? So I think part of the problem, though, you know, is that we're so bombarded with information these days on the Internet that 
it can be easy to say, oh, I need this next piece of information. Oh, and somebody's got this other way of doing things, particularly, you know, in the, in the marketing arena uh, for entrepreneurs that are trying to find the best way of marketing in, in what can be a very noisy environment. You know, how do I make my voice heard when there's so many other people um, putting stuff out there that they, they tend to go from one thing to another and get overwhelmed. So I don't think it's necessarily that they don't want to take action. It's that they think, I haven't got enough information yet to take action or the right information to take action. I think I was looking at something um, yesterday that was basically saying, pick a strategy and just follow the one strategy. Don't keep jumping from one thing to another. Exactly. And what, what I was saying, uh, just as you were changing, um, changing over, was I'd love to share with you how for people to find out their big why. And here's how, five steps, five easy steps I'm going to share with you because I know we're coming towards the end, um, which is, first of all, if you really want to know your purpose, here are five questions you're going to ask yourself. Who are you or who am I? And that's the easy answer to that is your name. That's the easy bit. What do you do that gives you most amount of joy? What do you do that gives you most amount of joy? So in my case, for example, the thing that I do that gives me greatest joy is speaking on stage. Who do you help? Or the other one is healing, of course. Who or who do you serve? You can't serve 7.2 million people on the planet. Pick a lane. Pick a group of people you serve. How do they benefit? That's the fourth question. How do they benefit? So, for example, uh, one group of people I'm hearing, how do they benefit? They end up in amazing, romantic, tantric relationships that last for life. It might be a series of benefits, but how do they benefit? And how does the world change as a result of your work? The world change. So in my case, again, if I'm doing healing work with people regarding relationships, then you imagine this. If everyone was like you and you, both Jan and Bill, in a loving, harmonious relationship, if everyone is in a loving, harmonious relationship, less war. There'll be less dissatisfaction in life. So for me, healing relationships is about healing the world. So when you wake up in the morning and you remind yourself of your big why, your big purpose, then attracting people becomes far easier. You know, I used to run a mastermind where I had healers, therapists, etc. And I couldn't get my head around why is it that these people can't attract clients. You know, they know the strategies, the marketing strategies they need to do, etc., and the tactics. And, and so, so I set up my own clinic. And the one thing I knew over and above everything is my why. And without doing any marketing, I've had a very successful practice running for um, coming up to two years now. Simply because I knew my why. So I think with entrepreneurs, they focus too much on the how. When you've got the why... You figure out what, what is it that I'm creating, what is it that I'm try- trying to do here, then you find the who. Who do I know who can help me achieve this? And this is where entrepreneurs get 
stuck. Most entrepreneurs, they set up a business. And they think in terms of, I've got to do it all. I've got to be jack of all trades. No, you don't. You need to get people. If, say, for example, you're technically very good at something, very systems and process oriented, you're probably not going to be that good at networking. Find somebody who can do the networking for you. If you're somebody like me who's very good at speaking and, say, sales and marketing situation, the one thing that people like me hate is administration. So find a PA who's very good at administration. So what entrepreneurs need to do is to know their why, build their team, know who they're serving, how they're benefiting, and how the world is changing as a result. That, without too much marketing, will change your business, and that will change your life. That's brilliant, Haroon. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's really um, a very concise (laughs) way of approaching it, which is really powerful. And uh, obviously, you are proof in, of the pudding in terms of uh, showing how that works. So you're absolutely right. We are coming towards the end of the show now. And I'd just like to give you the opportunity again, Haroon, to uh, tell people how they can find you and Untangled FM in what, whichever um, route is the best for you. So go ahead and, and share. Brilliant. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, in terms of, if you want to listen to any of our shows, uh, any of the interviews and find out what we're up to, go on to untangledfm.com. But if you want to experience healing, then I have a website called heartfulnessnow.com, heartfulnessnow.com. So that really is primarily about the healing. And you know, I share with you ways you can start healing yourself. And uh, also both those websites will have a link for over the next few days for my uh webinar which we're doing about removing money blockages and I, like I said I would love 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 to see listeners and people in the holistic world start to become more abundant starting to attract more goodness into their life not just doing good for others so if you're constantly doing good for others without rewarding yourself you're going to be very very um, very hungry <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yes, looking forward to um, seeing that link come up and uh, really urge our listeners to go and explore not only the um, Untangled FM uh, channel, look at Haroon. Sounds like Haroon. And I really want to thank you for appearing uh, or coming on to the show today. It's been a lovely conversation. We've we've gone over all sorts of different things and a real joy to have you along and um, to wish you all the best with everything that you're doing and nice as well to have had a bit of contact back with the UK today. So thank you again and uh, I'm just going to hand back over to Bill now to wind the show up and um, look forward to our listeners coming back for next week's show. So thank you, Haroon, and have a great evening. Thank you, thank you so yeah. much. I really appreciate it, uh, Jen. Yeah, thank you, Haroon. It's been really wonderful. And I was sitting thinking with your talk about the heart and healing the heart and everything. I was going down through our musical selection. We usually sign off with a song. And I think this one is going to be from Ann and Nancy Wilson, right up the road from where we are now, from Seattle. And uh, they have the band Heart, and they wrote a beautiful song called These Dreams. And that's what this show's all about that uh, Jan and Haroon have been talking about is healing the heart and achieving our dreams. 
So we'll see you all next week, and thank you again, Haroon. And if anybody hasn't connected up, um, definitely do so. You'll find this gentleman is is a, certainly a powerful being to be in your life. So Anne and Nancy, take us away with these dreams. 